1: Guys, this episode is brought to you in collaboration with Right Now, a scheme created by Penguin Random House UK to help ensure books and publishing better reflect UK society.
2: Welcome to Moxie Lip.
1: Welcome to Mosty Lip guys.
2: Hi guys.
1: Another episode. Yep. How are you guys doing?
2: We're doing okay. We're doing
3: okay. We have a special episode today. Yeah, I'm so guys. excited. Um we
2: are Why speak- are you wearing a hoodie, Alex? Huh? Why have you got your hood up?
1: Cold. I'm oh. trying to be Derek today. I'm
3: trying to what?
2: What? Uh, I'm trying to be me.
1: We're all changing aesthetics. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I just keep getting better and better. <laughs>
3: anyway, yeah. But, yeah. This week we have uh, a very good episode. Uh, we went to Right Now 2017, which works in collaboration with Penguin Random House UK, um, and we were just we were talking to several authors about getting published and getting into publishing um it was a really good day guys wasn't
1: it mate i I can't i don't know am i allowed to spoil who was there
2: not yet not yet everybody knows who was there (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah but like maybe
1: some people didn't go oh but okay sorry but i met elif shafak and that's it Mm -hmm. like my day my 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 whole fourth quarter was made okay i'm done fourth
2: quarter oh, fourth quarter the q four q four is that like is Corporate that how talk. you guys talk in like the lawyer world
1: I'm disgusted with you Derek Corporate the
2: fourth talk. quarter who speaks like this when referring to
1: it's the fourth quarter of the year, so it's q four i know but no one says
2: or, this you didn't say this or until. <laughs> or yeah it's but I in october this. it's october yeah so
4: yeah.
1: it's
2: the that's know, what I'm asking is that like a it's a thing a lawyer thing like it's, it's, I, oh we're in the fourth oh quarter. my
1: god, okay. <laughs> I see what I have thing. to deal with. I'm so through.
2: But
3: yeah, guys, so, like, Right Now was created by Penguin Random House in 2016 to mm-hmm. help ensure books and publishing better reflect UK society. And it also helps to find unpublished voices that are currently underrepresented in books across all genres, including fiction, non fiction, and children's books. So this includes writers from socio economically marginalized backgrounds, uh, LGBTQ, and BAME writers, uh, and also writers with a disability. So it was a great. Way to kind of get to see, you know, the process that people will go through to get published and to to make the books that we really want to see on the shelves that represent us. Yeah. And what was even more interesting was just speaking to people about, you know, their challenges of getting published Mm -hmm. as an ethnic minority. And, you know, we're looking forward to like sharing some of the interviews with you today. I think
1: for me, the most interesting thing, bar the popular faces, were the um, prospective writers. So they're like, like the authors who are just not yet published mm. but have such amazing stories to tell i think that for me was so exciting like and when they were telling us about their work you I could tell
2: like, they were on it as well yeah they were really on it yeah i was like that's how i need to be yeah i'm It'll trying be to crazy. be a writer you know okay, if anybody's listening the Now program.
1: you know next year
2: trying yeah. to write but yeah no I've, I, I i it was infectious like how passionate they were about what they're doing, what they hope to accomplish. I mean and we even said afterwards, like we may have just interviewed, you know, like yeah. the next big author.
1: Yeah. We could have done that. Yeah, exactly.
2: That's incredible. So that was really interesting. Um but yeah, so basically my gem today is obviously just gonna be um one of the um authors we spoke to, which was uh Masuda, which he talks about writing books that don't really confirm to the typical narrative of minorities and mm-hmm you know, how she started out writing in a a small city in Leicester. Um, So we go to that clip and just get a little bit from her.
4: Right, so I started writing when I was really young, from about the age of eight, I would say, with the idea of being published. And I grew up on a council estate in Leicester and my family is British Bangladeshi. When I was about 16, I I decided I'm going to sit down and write a proper novel from the beginning to the end. Um, And it was kind of based on a British Bangladeshi girl growing up on a council estate in Leicester. And I just kind of banged it out and just thought it was finished and then put it in a drawer. Um, Carried on writing, wrote short stories, wrote novels. And then probably about five, six years ago, I came back to that novel and I thought, there's potential in this. There was a lot of things that were wrong in it that really needed to be changed. But I still really liked the characters. I still liked the setting. And so I thought, I'm going to have another go at this and, and rewrite it again and redraft it, because I hadn't redrafted it the first time, um, and just keep working on it. And then from that, I sent it into competitions, and I was a runner-up in the Mislexia Short Story Competition, which is a magazine for female writers. And then I won the SI Leeds Prize, which is a prize for black and Asian um, female writers with that novel. And from that, <laughs> I managed to get some kind of kind of publicity and agents kind of approach yeah. to me after that point.
2: Was it easy for you then to get like a publishing deal? Because of the, obviously the awards you had won in, in the past.
4: Um, it was from that point on, but I like I said, I've been writing since I was eight and I'm 35 now, so it has taken me a really long time. And I had sent my work off to lots of agents um, previous to that and just never heard anything back. And I think that, that's often the case now. You don't get rejection slips. You just hear nothing, <laughs> um, which is worse because you, you, you don't even know if people are reading your th- stuff. So it was only after I started winning and coming runner-up in things that I started to get a bit more interest from agents and, and things. So it was, it was quite a slow process for me. It did take a while. Because I don't have any connections in kind of the publishing industry, like a lot of writers. So I didn't have a quick route. It, it was the hard slog Kind of get there.
1: Mm. Um, so today there's been a lot of talk on discipline and how how people write and when they write and I know that you mentioned you recently had a baby, congratulations. Um, so how has it been balancing motherhood? Um, I also know that you're a, uh, a supply teacher as well with writing and how when do you actually write get that time?
4: It has been really difficult, (laughs) I'm not gonna lie. Um I don't think I wrote anything for a good like six, seven months. Um I just didn't have the headspace for it um or the time or energy for it. Um but at the same time writing is so integral to who I am as a person that i I had to get back to it in some way. So I made sure that I I put my little one in in nursery once Uh, twice during the week but one so I can go work and one so that I can write Um, and I've used that time it's not as much time as I used to have but hopefully I'm going to be able to build on that but it is tricky it's really tricky to balance all those different elements I think
3: what what was the editorial process like for you? Like, what was your relationship like with your editors? And have you got any horror stories or any great stories with them? <laughs>
4: um, so first of all, I, I I got my agent, and I actually worked yeah. on some edits with on the novel through my agent. So I've changed kind of plot, a few plot points, and then when it came to the editor editing from my editor, um, she there was kind of some line edits and some she wanted me to change the order of the ending. Um, but I was quite happy with doing that because, it. Um, she like like we've said on the panel today, Nobody, the editors don't tell you how to do these things. They just make suggestions, and then you can kind of work from that. And so I could do it in the way that I felt comfortable with. So editors and agents and all those people are actually really lovely, nice people most of the time. Um, <laughs> so like I, I've said today, if you really feel strongly that you don't want to change a certain thing in your work, they're, they're fine with that if you've got a good reason for it so I don't have any horror stories thankfully
2: <laughs> when it when it came to you getting an agent and I know you said that they started approaching you how did you make the decision of which one to go with
4: right yeah so so to go back in time I so I came runner-up in the dyslexia competition mm-hmm. and an agent that was on the judging panel there she approached me Um, So that was quite simple and and, and easy for me to kind of like say yes because an agent approaches you and and after having not heard anything from agents, it was like, oh, definitely, I'll go for that. But after a year, she decided to leave being an agent um, and go into editing um, at at Faber & Faber. So I was left without an agent. But fortunately for me, I'd kind of met a couple of agents along the way, Mm -hmm. um, had some people email me. Um, It's um, kind of being interested in in the in the novel and then i ended up with three agents who um i kind of came to london and interviewed essentially um to decide which one to go with Mm. And, and what each and every one of them said was go with the person that you feel most comfortable with and go with the person that you think really gets your work and and that's what essentially what i did i kind of spoke to all of them and actually two of the agents um thought i should write another novel before i um kind of um sent out for this, the things we thought we knew um, and it was the third agent who was kind of like, no, let's go for it, let's go with this novel, I think we can get somewhere so that helped because <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, I really want to have a good go with this novel yeah.
1: So post your, um, your debut novel what are the things that you'll probably do differently now um, You know, if you're thinking of writing another novel
4: throughout the sort of getting published road um, I think Having had an editor now, there's certain things in my writing that I probably didn't see before that um, I do, like little mistakes that I make. Um, I can't think of a particular example, but there's certain things that I I would be more aware that I, I just wouldn't do that now because I know that that, that would be um, a, a, a mistake, <laughs> essentially. But I think you just get better the more you write. So um, I've kind of got my own process of editing and and making sure my drafts are, are getting better and better each time. So I'm just kind of building on that each time.
2: So also with um, the book you've just published, did you feel any kind of pressure to play up um, like diversity in terms of in your pitch and things like that?
4: It was kind of really important to me when writing this novel, even though it's got a British Bangladeshi girl and it's on a council estate, that the novel isn't actually about that. It's not about race. It's not about... Um, being working class it's about a girl who's got chronic pain and she's kind of trying to get through her pain and her healing um through the different things that happen to her in the story and it's about her past and and all sorts of different elements so i really didn't want to um kind of have to say oh this is a uh, an asian novel or Mm. make it an exotic thing which i think often happens with kind of asian novels you have to make it exotic um so it was really important for me that it wasn't like that, actually, mm-hmm. and I was, so I was really pleased that it got picked up by a, a big publishing house because you often feel like that's the only story that people want to hear. They're, like, especially I think if you're Asian, like you know the terrorist story, or or if you're from a council estate, like gangs and stuff like that. And actually, those weren't my experiences, so um, I wanted to write a different type of story.
2: Okay, so next up we have Charlene. Um, she was actually a participant in the scheme in 2016, mm-hmm. and she speaks about the writing process and um, how she came to apply. and I really like Charlene. She was really she was interesting, really bubbly. Yeah, yeah. she was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, you know
3: what was interesting? You know when she was talking about like places to write. Yeah, I think that was oh, yeah. in- that was the interesting bit for me. Like, because it's not every day like go to a coffee shop and do pretentious writer in it.
1: First of all, sometimes. <laughs> that's fine nah. but <laughs> like she, just she, so
3: you she was like
2: oh yeah she would be there writing and then you need to go to the toilet do you need yeah. your laptop do you, your laptop true, with you? Do you lose true. your seat yeah. like, you know what I mean but it's like Afua she spoke about that and she said that I think she wrote her entire book British in a coffee shop oh is it <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm right. pretty sure that's what she said mm. she said she used to just um, wake up go to a coffee shop and just write
1: not that we're calling you pretentious no
2: no no, it's not pretentious but i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) it's a space like like i said you know um when you're on the train sometimes the white noise yeah i think she said that's what she needs i think she said she needs other people i was gonna gonna say
3: about like writing on the train is really like obviously the long distance train it's not the tube but i love
1: reading on the train No,
3: writing on the train is actually really really cool how do you do that how do you even write on the train like do you get like on the long distance train i get i always get a table seat
1: Oh, okay. Oh,
3: you're talking, I'm thinking on London yeah, Underground. Yeah. So, no, I know what i say Not the tube, oh, but like oh, oh. actual, like, you know, cross-country yeah. trains. Because it's, right. like, it's, it's just like, I love reading time, on the tube.
1: Reading on the tube. Like in uni, sometimes I used to go from one end to the next and just mm. be like, I need a space away from the library. I also find bookshops really, really good places to read or write. Oh, like, yeah.
2: or like a Waterstones yeah, or Foilers or something. Yeah, and you go to like, their little coffee yeah. place. Just the environment. Just... Anyway, yeah, we're rambling on. Yeah, yes, <laughs> let um, So yes, let's, um, let's hear from Charlene.
5: I'm a part-time care worker. and um, So half the week I look after my little boy who's three and autistic and awesome. Um, But, yeah, that takes up a lot of energy. And then for a rest, the other half of the week I go and look after a load of other kids. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I do that on the second half of the week. I found right now on Twitter, and I was searching... I can't remember what I was searching for, but it was something like... You know, I was yeah. Googling, like, I want to read something, I want to read some more people of colour and stuff. And they mm. had, the comms people to cleverly, obviously hashtag something, because <laughs> I was searching. So I wasn't even looking for writing specifically, I was just looking for something for me. Yeah. Mm. And then I saw this, and they said, you know, we want more underrepresented people. And I was like, I am hella black. I am <laughs> sending my writing into that. Um, so I did. And... It wasn't, but I did that, it wasn't until I got to the room, because I think you see opportunities sometimes where they say, we would like to invite people of X and X to mm-hmm. come, and you do it, mm-hmm. but you feel like they're ticking mm-hmm. a certain box, yeah. and then I came, here to, well, I came here last year, and I realised how authentic it was, and how much they wanted people's stories to be told, and to be able to tell it in their true way. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really emotional, actually, being in that room with all these people who have maybe felt they had barriers or haven't been heard or haven't been um, shown it as an opportunity. Um, it wasn't until after I came I realised... I've been writing for a really long time, but it, yet yeah, it never occurred to me to be a writer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because nobody showed yeah. me that path. I was... Since I've done this, some of my school friends have got in touch with me and said, you used to write stories. I used to write fictional stories about them and their celebrities getting together. I said, did I? And they're like, yeah, you used to do that for me. But then when I went to careers Day, they said nursing. Mm. And I'm like, well, (laughs) why wasn't this, you know, yeah. Yeah. So it opened my eyes in a massive way. And I think it's both beautiful and sad that it uh, was 35 when my (laughs) (laughs) eyes became opened. But yeah, it's brilliant.
2: So, what's your writing process like?
5: It depends on what stage I'm at my writing process is like. I have a set day when my son is at nursery. Mm-hmm. So, on that day, I get up, take him to nursery, in my onesie, I come back, mm-hmm. I drink two cups of coffee, get back into bed with a hot water bottle, mm-hmm. put on my daily mix on Spotify, mm-hmm. and then...
2: Is this the procedure every time? Just go, yeah. Two
5: cups. The <laughs> two ritual, cups. too, Because you have one, and it just takes the edge off. <laughs> But then if you actually want to create, you have to have another one. Um, And then if I have, for example, in this process we had some deadlines. If I have a bit more of a deadline, it gets a bit more (laughs) on the sofa until late at night, just texting people every five minutes saying, I can't do it! And then texting back saying, yes, you can. Um, But it's nice. It's nice to... I've tried working at the library and I sort of had an idea that you had to... If I was going to be a writer, <laughs> <laughs> I had to... It had to look a certain way, and I had to have mm. a nice desk, and I had to... Or coffee
6: shops, or... Oh, I, I, I do, do coffee shop. shops.
5: I really do. Okay, I tried the coffee shop. Yeah. I got the coffee. 20 minutes later, I was like, I need to go to the toilet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My laptop isn't anything, but... I don't want it stolen. Like, what do I do? It was too complicated. (laughs) It was too complicated. How much coffee should I buy? Are they looking at me like I'm here too long without (laughs) buying coffee? (laughs) There's just too many questions. So I went back to my bed. um, And I just think, yeah, I got over that. However it gets... When you create something, it doesn't have to look a certain way. You just... However you get it done, it gets done. And there's no... You know, no one knows from reading it that I was wearing my onesie. It doesn't matter whatever is most comfortable for me. And at the moment that is.
3: So in the year that you know that you've been to right now, like what are the key things that have changed and how has that impacted you? How did the program impact you?
5: Sort of nothing has changed and everything has changed. Um it has been a huge internal change in that I have accepted that I can share my writing with people and they will be interested and I can seek opportunities and I can talk to people and in a practical way a lot of doors are opening that I probably wouldn't have had the confidence to keep trying to go at Um, people have introduced themselves to me who I wouldn't have introduced myself to, um, and also I'm getting answers to questions, questions I didn't know I had, but also I would have been too embarrassed to ask. Mm. The things I have asked, I just learned what tracking is in Microsoft Word. <laughs> tracking. <laughs> <laughs> Track changes, anyone even know. And they were like, you have to turn it on to see, yeah. you know, and, and, yeah. and before this process, <laughs>
3: So basically, <laughs> you, edit, you can edit. You can edit. And it track, shows you can track you. the changes. It
5: shows you how Oh, track.
1: is it? Oh. You yeah. can dot compare as well, so you can compare other ones. It's beautiful. It's, it's a, a beautiful day. thing.
5: Okay. But <laughs> but oh, <laughs> But before this, like I would have been embarrassed that I didn't know that, and thought that that meant that because I didn't know that, I probably wasn't the right person to, oh, to, no. to be part of this world. People yeah. who are, know these things, mm. Mm. well, I don't, and I'm here, so yeah. that's how I feel
2: about it today <laughs> a <school> right. <laughs> so in terms of agents and editors and things like that I'm, I mean is your writing very personal to you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I need to answer before I can ask the full question <laughs>
5: really? in t- I don't understand so the question you, is in terms writing, yeah is it did, personal yeah, to Because
2: yeah. I know you said that you maybe didn't have the confidence to feel like you could share it with other
5: people was that mm. because you was holding no. it personal? no no Because it wasn't because it was personal. It was just because I didn't think it was good enough. Mm. Um, It is personal in that a lot of the emotions and the feelings that my character has went through, Mm. I have been through. We are both going through a separation, for example, and that brings up feelings of identity and loss Mm. and finding your place in the world mm. at an age where you thought you should have had it all figured out. Mm. And that was a big process for me. Um, but the situation is not. Yeah. So I have enough distance that, you know...
2: So if an editor and uh, or your agent started chopping it up, you wouldn't feel kind of like, <gasps> just...
5: No, no. I would welcome that. I really want... I mean, I might in the future, at mm. the moment if i have had a lot of feedback and people are saying you know what were you thinking with this Mm. and i'm still at the stage where i'm thinking you read it (laughs) (laughs) wow that's amazing um i oh yeah i don't have the thing where i feel because i really respect the opinions i'm getting i don't Mm. feel sort of hurt or something by letting things go Mm. there aren't any points of that i think there has been a couple of times where people have said things about characters and I felt a bit like, oh, <laughs> like it was my friend. Mm. <laughs> like, what do you mean he's not very nice? I think you'll find he's a lovely boyfriend to that person. Um, but that's also exciting that people can see other things mm. in people you, are, you have become really close to. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a mixture, really
3: all right guys yeah so now we spoke to two unpublished writers um who are on the scheme uh Rita Loy and Iqbal Hussain um and they expressed why they decided to apply for this uh the scheme and the editorial choices and the interesting stories that inspired them I really like these two I, I loved do. Rita yeah Rita was I really loved funny Rita as well yeah
1: she like was Rita really
3: was a, like she, she was, was she was a babe I, like, I want to read a book yeah pardon I want to read that book. Yeah, like I'm looking forward to hearing it. But even Iqbal was like really like oh, passionate right, yeah. about the kind of the memoirs that he wanted to write yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And,
1: and about that. childhood, I think specifically, we asked like we asked him a question on like how is it like writing things that are actually true? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how how do you reflect that sort of pain mm-hmm. or things that happen that people don't want to read about? Yeah. You know? And how you put that in text? Yeah. Like how do you, how do things. you tell
2: the truth? But be responsible at the same time yeah. with what you're to- with what you're saying. That's yeah. true. Um, oh, yeah.
3: That's true. Anyway, so here's Rita and here's Iqbal.
7: So yeah it's, it's largely autobiographical, but it's also it's also meant to be a bit of a kind of um, not a superhero story, but a little bit because when I was a kid, there wasn't really you know like the book club would come to my primary school and there'd be tons of books and there was never anything that I saw that had a brown kid in it or, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, the, the closest thing I found was there was a book called Rita to the Rescue and Rita wasn't spelt the same way as My Name Is Brock. yeah. R-I-T-A. Yeah. R-I-T-A, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> don't even go there. Rita to the Rescue This. uh the, there's a little uh, illustration on the front of a girl in a, in a cape and, you know, I was like, wow, like I was so amazed to see this book and yeah. it's like, wow, she's super great. she's really cool, her name's spelled wrong, but that's okay. Yeah. I still want the book, you know. And uh, I think it's really important that we can see ourselves in in uh, down when we're walking down the street or in the media or the press or in books and in storytelling. And because so often, as brown people, we're invisible in those spaces, as queer people, we're invisible in those spaces. And inhabiting both of those and being a woman, I feel like yeah, shit, I've got a lot to say, actually. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, you know, so I've always been writing, and I guess I've been writing as a way to really process a lot of my own experiences and 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 work out my my place in the world and my relationship with myself, and that's kind of led me to this storytelling place I'm mm. finding that, actually, some of the stuff I've been writing I've wanted to share, and then over the years I've shared it, and uh, poetry and done spoken word slams and, and stuff like that, and then got to a place where... I write a column for Diva Magazine now and um, I've started developing my writing into longer form writing and it's really working on this, this novel idea and, um, so, and so being here is really amazing because it's about kind of challenging myself to take that, mm-hmm. take that to the next, next level but, um, but yeah I'm not writing about like you know rockets and space or anything like that, I'm writing yeah. about my own stuff mm-hmm. and my own experiences. So Maybe when, I will one day, but at the moment there's a lot going on there, so
2: so when you when you did like finally see your not yourself but your name you know, like were you aware that a lot of the characters didn't look like you yeah,
7: yeah, I think so, well, actually, you know what at the time, probably not. Mm. I was just having this conversation outside actually um i I don't know how much of it is an awareness that I think I had as a child that I looked different or whether it was about how other people were. Uh, relating to me Mm. but I remember being aware that I had to assimilate and try and fit in so um, I remember going to school and one of the other kids said that I smelled of curry and I was like really offended and Mm. I was like what but I love curry it's like what's wrong with smelling of curry you know so I mean I I went to I actually started school in Southall where where I was born which has a huge Indian uh, community and when I was six we moved to Winchester and I was the only brown kid in school, we were the first Asian family to move there, and so I, I was being told at home that we were different, and so I had to, I had to sort of try and fit in, and mm. but like not too much, right? Like not like boyfriends and stuff like that, right? <laughs> Turns out that wasn't a problem in the end, but um, <laughs> but yeah. Th- anyway, that's a different story. Um, then, but then at school, I was aware that you know I had to try and fit in, but our customs were different. But actually, at school. I remember starting this primary school in Winchester and all the other kids just, like, just being so wonderful mm. and just so, like, welcoming and, like, welcoming me in. And, like, I remember, like, they were coming up to me and touching me because they were, like, oh, my God, like... Oh, wow, really? Wow, like... And, like, I had, like, long, long hair and a plaid, yeah. And one of the boys was, like, squeezing my hair and he was, like, does this hurt? Can you feel this? And I was, like, well, no, man, it's hair, like... Was What's this, wrong with it? Primary school, <laughs> or <second>? primary school <laughs> man. Oh. It's all right. There, it's all right. Secondary hey, school right. is a different thing, right? <laughs> um, but it was really beautiful and innocent. And, and I think about that, and I'm like, you know, at that time, at that age, I think that actually we're, as children, I think we're really unaware of that difference in ourselves and in, in others. It's, we're inquisitive and we're. Mm-hmm interested in that difference mm. but you know something happens over time and and what we hear and what we perceive and a lack of that diversity in the in in everything else kind of makes us think that the norm is well that's the norm and everything else sits outside it right mm. um so, but no I don't think I don't think I was aware that there was a lack of representation mm-hmm. <laughs> you know but like me yeah, I think on a on a deeper level I was aware that yeah I was different and um, I had to try and fit in. Yeah. We've heard a lot today about uh, discipline in writing. Mm-hmm.
1: And um, there, was, there was the panel that talked about what they do. So how about you? Like, what what disciplinary actions, or just Dis- disciplinary <laughs> actions, what, um, what, 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 what are the ways in which you discipline yourself so that you actually sit down and
7: write? Um, so there, there are a couple of things that I do. One is that I write every morning. So I read a book called The Artist's Way about... Um, Ten years ago, which everyone should read, if if, uh, in my opinion, if they do anything creative Mm. or want to. Morning pages. Morning pages, man. Every day. Like, (laughs) get up. It's like 20 minutes or four pages. And sometimes you want to write more. One day I wrote bollocks for four pages. The word bollocks, because I couldn't think of anything else to write. But I was like, (laughs) I have to write every day. Mm. And that's okay. That's allowed as well, by the way. So... But it's really insightful, and I won't... Like, I won't tell you what the book is about, but definitely read the book, because it's, it's huge. But um, So I write every morning, and that's, for me, a process of just getting stuff out and getting rid of that outer layer of noise in your head, right? So you can get closer to your creative self and your true self. Ideas come more quickly, feel more in tune with yourself. I do, when I follow that. Um, and then uh, another thing that I do is... Um, I tend to write well when I um, sort of create blocks of time for myself where I can just be on my own. Mm. So some of the guys today out there on the panel were saying, oh, "I need to be in a really noisy cafe because that's you know I'm used to being in that busy environment or whatever it might be." I guess it's about working out where what your most, uh, where your biggest, where you're most comfortable. I guess. Mm. Um, so for me, it, I, I, I need to be on my own and I need to be in a quiet place so that I can just tap into connecting with myself and just sort of get some words down. Um, so, yeah, there's there's that kind of discipline. So I have certain days and times when I'm doing certain things. But also, if, if I feel as though I need to dedicate some time to writing, then I'll try and create a situation where I can just yeah. work from home.
2: Yeah.
7: Work from home this afternoon. I'm going <laughs> to get in trouble now.
2: <laughs> so, for example, if you have a deadline, because I know... Obviously, by the sounds of it, you're very creative and you, you, um, you, you like to have a lot of creative control over what you're doing. Does a deadline affect that?
7: Absolutely, it does, yeah. Mm. So uh, deadlines, since I've been writing the diva column, that's really been... Um, so. You know, there's a monthly deadline, so that's made me really have to create a new type of discipline because when I'm writing towards that deadline uh, and I've got everything else that I'm juggling... I can't leave it to the last minute because like because i I need to do a certain amount of research, and I need to let a certain an idea sort of ferment for a bit and sort mm-hmm. of take its time and so what happens with that, for example, is I'll know what the theme is for the issue, um usually two to four weeks before the deadline, sometimes only a week before the deadline, and depending on how much time I've got, I will. Sort of absorb it, and I'll let myself I'll just sort of pace myself in terms of the time that I've got. Mm. Um, but yeah, the first one I submitted, I, I was like way behind, way behind schedule on it, and I wrote too many words and I couldn't fit it. into the word count, and I was freaking out, and I had to get a friend involved and just like help me. So it was total panic. Mm. But um, since then, I've got much more used to that that style of working. Um, so the deadline is one thing, and then the sort of theme being dictated to you is another thing. Mm. So, I, I'm I'm lucky in that role because I can I have a lot of autonomy over what I want, what I write about, but it is under an overarching theme. Um, I think I find it a lot harder if if I was told that I had to write quite prescriptively. I think I'd find that quite hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Going into something like this with the Right Now, um, what do you see for like the future of this of this program, and what do you want to see happen um, in the books that that come out?
7: I'm really excited about uh, reading the work that's going to come out of, out of this program. And, you know, Chantel was just speaking, one of the, the current mentees from last year, which was hugely inspirational. And I, a lot of what she said really resonated in terms of um, feeling like you have a right to be here, you have a right to be in the room, you have a right to voice your experience or your perspective and she was, you know, and I've heard this a lot, it's that sort of people of colour and women and people in minority spaces don't feel that as much in general because we're just not as dominant in, in in that, in terms of the noise out there, right? And we don't see ourselves, we don't hear ourselves. So I'm really excited about hearing the stories and reading the stories and uh, seeing this, this platform continue to develop and grow. Like, it's amazing to be a part of it. Um, it's amazing to feel inspired by all these people um, and it, for me it feels like a really interesting time in the UK at the moment in terms of diversity in terms of representation
0: mm-hmm.
7: and I, don't, I feel like digital's changed that a lot as well uh, but there seems to be a real appetite and a platform for people partly because we're kind of taking it ourselves but yeah. it's great that Penguin Random House are doing this um, and uh, yeah I'm, I just welcome it and I, I look forward to seeing what comes out of it
3: Hi Bob, how are you Hi
8: I'm, I'm well thank you, how are you? I'm good, good. 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 So just
3: tell us a bit about like, the, the day and how you're enjoying it and what's it?
8: The day has been non-stop excitement from start to finish. Uh, there's so many interesting things we've learned, so many useful things we've learned and uh, particularly how many inspiring things we've heard. And the lineup of speakers has been brilliant, mm-hmm. uh, some amazing authors, some editors, um, the people at uh, Penguin Random House. Mm-hmm. Um, then we had this brilliant speech from one of the mentees from last year, and I think she inspired us all the most mm. because she was so honest with her experiences of being on the course. She was funny, of course, <laughs> but she was also very moving. Mm. And you just thought, my God, it can happen to any of us. Mm. And the people in the room are not from backgrounds where we have wealthy, f- I'm assuming okay, yeah. my family isn't from wealthy backgrounds or privileged this or we were sent to special schools or anything. We all have quite normal lives, and that's what's nice about this course. It's normal people being given a chance to do something quite abnormal, quite extraordinarily uh, uh, exciting. Mm. So I've had a fantastic time so far, but my head's spinning a little bit because I'm taking on all this. (laughs) You see a lot going on, but it's all brilliant. So it's almost like, oh my God, take it down, take it down, take it down. And just to hear other writers has been really inspiring, other people in my situation, and we're all kind of finishing off the first book that we've written. And to know how people have tackled it is interesting and the different ages of people, the genders, the, the experiences of people. Some people are writing science fiction, some people are writing um, uh, non-fiction, some people are writing poetry, some people are like me writing memoirs, childhood type books. Brilliant experience.
3: Okay. What's your background? Like, Where are you coming
8: from? My background, I'm born to Muslim parents in a Pakistani household. In the northwest of England, um, very working class. Uh, so that's my background. And the youngest of six, I've always written. I've always enjoyed writing, and I write music as well. So the two things for me are quite quite normal: music and writing, quite normal. Um, and I just felt that I wanted to write a book about my childhood. So it's fiction, but it's semi-autobiographical. So largely true, but with it embellishments. Um, and I wanted to give people an insight into the world of a Pakistani house. Well, it isn't. you don't really see it also an insight into a Muslim house, given at a time where the press for Muslims is not great I'm kind of spiritual, I believe in many things but I wanted to just show that actually many Muslim ha- homes are quite normal mm-hmm. nothing ha- they're as eccentric as any other house, there's nothing scary they can be as mundane as any other normal house, but that normality is actually for me quite interesting and the book itself is, is largely very positive and very humorous. And that's what I wanted to show. I wanted to just give an insight into another side of pa- Pakistan, right. Northern Muslim, all those factors, without focusing on any one particular um, uh, element, just to make it all quite normal and quite normal and inviting and a real insight.
2: Yeah. Because the book you're writing is you know, semi-autobiographical, do you worry about the edits that are going to happen to the book when you submit it?
8: um that's a really good question um am i worried i think i'm more intrigued i think that's what i would use Mm -hmm. i'm intrigued (laughs) as to what edits they'll make because somebody else will see that book in a very different way to how i'm uh, seeing it so how they're going to view it 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 intrigues me Mm -hmm. um i'm not a possessive person in any aspect of of life so i think i'm saying this now i think (laughs) i'll be quite cool if they made edits if there were severe edits i'd think oh but why are you doing that the one worry I might have is that because I'm writing from a, a particular cultural viewpoint, the editors may not come from that world, so they might not understand why I've put something about a certain theme or a topic. So there yeah. might need to be some explaining that I need to do mm-hmm. to them. But I think I'm more intrigued than uh, scared or intimidated.
2: Is that something that you think about when you're? Um, I guess when you're deciding which publisher you want to publish your book, do you think to yourself? who will actually understand what it is I'm trying to do with this book?
8: Do you know what? Because I haven't got to that stage yet, because I haven't, haven't um, thought about the, the, that side, I'm still doing the writing side, mm. I think that is a really good point, That's a good point, and it is a consideration, because I would want it to go to a publisher and an editor that I work with uh, at some point who understands the book and where it's coming from and what it wants to achieve, and who doesn't use it in any other agenda. It's, it's essentially it's a light-hearted book, but with pathos behind it and insight, but it's not. I'm not out to represent anybody or do anything like that. It's just this is a voice and this insight that I don't feel is currently out there. So the editors, the, the publishers I end up going with, should I be lucky enough to have it published, should be sympathetic enough to be able to see that viewpoint and to understand that largely it has to be my voice. Uh, but in terms of structure, of course, they can advise and make it better and tighter and sort out any queries that, that somebody might have. But the overall voice I think has to has to kind of remain true. Um,
1: just going back to the semi-autobiographical aspect of the current book that you're writing, um, before you do give it off to an editor to kind of mess with and uh, possess by themselves, what are the things that you choose to write, as in the truths, but then what do you put as fiction? So when deciding that about about your narrative, how do you go about doing that?
8: Oh, that's another interesting question. You're all coming up with <laughs> such good questions. Um, the things that are truths are the memories that I have very clearly so some events as a 10 as year old child have stuck in my memory a lot so there they are true and i would say maybe 85 percent 90 percent of the book is true the 10 percent of embellishment are on instance where the incident happened but
0: many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
8: I've just added to it just to make it more dramatic in some way. So I may not have had quite the argument I ended up having, but I've embellished it. Or there's an incident in the book where he goes and meets Abba, the pop group, Actually, that didn't happen to me. That happened to a friend of mine. So I was really envious that we'd never got chosen for that thing. So there's a truth in it, but the embellishment is it wasn't my truth. Uh, So I've embellished that. Um, The other, the embellishments, the things I write about the family are generally true. The things I write about my school friends are generally true. But I will be changing names (laughs) because some things are a little bit embarrassing. So I wouldn't want anyone to look back and say, oh, my God, that character is me. that's what they thought of me at the time. This is writing about me now, and it's describing how I looked and what I said. So there's been some self-editing going on along the way amongst the truths, but the truths are generally true, 80% maybe. 20% is definitely not true, but it's it's all how I might have done things if I had a different choice at the time. Um, But no. And sometimes I'm putting down truths which are quite difficult, And at the back of my mind, I do think, oh my gosh, what might the family think when I put that down? Mm. Because what to me... I'm quite an open person. My family might not necessarily want something to be aired in public, particularly from that kind of Pakistani uh, background where people are very community-minded. What will the neighbours think? There's that real fear of what other people think. But I think I've done it in such a way that it's not anything to be embarrassed about. It's just opening up about... I might have been crying about something, but... Mm. Crying might have been about emotions, about who who I was and how I fitted in and my relationship with my brothers, which wasn't always good. But I think that has to be put down because it wasn't always a lovely, idyllic childhood. So even though the, a lot of the book is quite upbeat, there were incidents that weren't so upbeat. And I think I would be doing the readers a disservice by not putting in some of the less nice bits in there, just because I was scared of what the family might say. So because currently um, a lot of the the
2: media portrayal of Muslim families is quite negative, did you feel like, okay, when you wrote this book, did you think, okay, I'm going to really spin this around so that people can see that it's not always like that? So when you are writing, did you kind of hesitate to put in maybe elements that were negative? Another great question.
8: Do you know what? I really thought about that. and There are some things in the book that are not so nice, and that somebody might say oh that's not a very good representation so for instance there's one scene where he goes to a mosque now I'm not saying that all mosques were like this but when I went to the mosque and I didn't stay for, for long in that particular two, three times I went something would happen in that room the the guide teaching us might have slapped somebody on the head or he, at one point something else happened that to a reader might think oh he's made that up it's too horrible, it didn't happen it did happen so I've had to really think about do I put it in or don't I put it in? And I think ultimately I have put it in because I think it needs... I, I'm not saying this is indicative of every Muslim family or every Pakistani boy or every northern school or every mosque. That was my experience of it. So I'd be lying if I didn't put in something that wasn't quite so palatable. So in amongst all the lovely things and the, the families being quite normal and their experiences being normal, the shopkeepers being normal, there's no other... There's not too many... Negative things. Occasionally, I have had to put them in because I think, A, it's true, and B, it provides colour. It's a contrast between the nice things. And they're things that other people might have recognised when they were growing up in those times because it was the days before the internet, before email. You, you couldn't communicate with anyone outside of your immediate um, social circle. So it's, it's been a hard one. Again, the family at the back of mine, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if I put that down, will they think, why is he talking about that? But it happened so long ago because I'm writing about 1981 I don't for one second believe that this is what mosques are like now or that this is what schools are like. At school I I write about scenes where people get caned and hit, hit with a pump or whatever it is. That wouldn't happen now. So this was my truth at the time but it in no way means that this is the truth now but I did have to think about some of the things and there are possibly some things I haven't put in just because I don't want to be adding to the canon of literature that's adding more. I really don't My main thing was to write an honest, but insightful, but largely positive portrayal of Pakistani, Muslim, Northern.
1: So we reach my woman um so basically i'm like this is the author that we look spoke at you to. yeah i'm really excited <laughs> she like, was, them out.
3: was right making notes i was and... making notes, but then yeah, she was dropping
2: some gems she, she was like, dropping gems oh, wow. she was dropping gems like it was nothing yeah like, and we were just scrambling on the floor <laughs> trying to pick them up like, what is...
1: <laughs> and she was so
4: composed
2: yeah she and really she was. spoke
1: so like beautifully um anyway so before i get ahead of myself mm-hmm. we interviewed elif shafak who's uh the author of um daughters of Eve um three daughters of eve um and she like i bought this book and then we apparently got free copies on the day and then i was like okay well you know here's another one <laughs> mm-hmm. that always happens um yeah. yeah and she is my woman of the week and she kind of talked extensive um, extensively about like historical narratives that includes minorities or historical narratives of minorities and the impact of like schools um of school on girls and how like a lot of the times you enter school and your creativity is lost um and yeah she just came with us with so much wisdom when it comes to how she goes about writing and advice to writers so
9: yeah here you have elif shafat I'm a storyteller, that's how I see, how I describe myself primarily. Mm -hmm. Um, And like all storytellers, of course, I'm drawn to stories, but I'm also drawn to silences. The things that we don't talk about, we find difficult to talk about. So I think in my books, I like to explore that as well political taboos, cultural taboos, sexual taboos, the silences in the world, in a particular culture or society. I am Turkish, um, and I write in both Turkish and English. I, For the last maybe 14 years, I should say, I've been primarily writing in English, and then each book is translated into Turkish, and then I take the Turkish translation and I rewrite it. And the books travel around the world. It's been now uh, like 48 languages, which gave me the chance to get to know... Um, how editors work, translators work, publishers work in other countries. But basically, I am a curious person who loves learning. I'm a nomad, intellectually, spiritually, um, and uh, storytelling is is what I do in this life.
2: With your first novel, um, how difficult was it to get published?
9: In some ways, it wasn't as difficult as one thinks only because I was so ignorant I didn't know what I was getting into and I just wrote and I had this book in me and that flow was much stronger than my worries Um, and I think that's what matters you can never completely suppress your worries but if you have something that's stronger than those worries that keeps you going I started writing at a very early age relatively speaking when I was a child Um, and I've been writing ever since then but that's not because at the time I wanted to become a writer. I didn't know such a thing was possible. Mm. There were no such role models around me. There were no writers in the family, in the you know, in the environment I grew up in. Um, I started writing because I thought my life was very boring. I was a very lonely child. I was an only child, raised by a single mom, a working mom, mm. and at the time it was quite unusual in Turkey. Um, you know, many families were quite extended families. So I always felt a little bit on the fringe of the of the society and I was drawn to this storyland which was much more real, much more colorful than the so called real life I was living. And that's how my need for books and stories began. The desire to become an established author came to me in my early twenties. So much later, the need for books preceded everything. Um, and, and the first novel, after I finished it, I sent it to, again, out of ignorance, not knowing how difficult these things could be, I sent it to a very big publishing house in Turkey. And and a month later, the editor gave me a call. And ever since then, um, I've been publishing books.
2: So there was an, a need for you to have like a, an agent or anything like that?
9: Um, that's because in, in some countries, you know... The, the system is quite different. Like in Turkey, you don't have to work with an agent. But the moment I started going beyond that, uh, I had to have a, a, an agent. So I have had agents over the years. Uh, I worked with a New York-based agency, and then I moved to Curtis Brown, uh, based in London, and I've been very happy with them. They, they represent all, my, my entire world rights so there is a need for you know to work with an agent, but if you come from countries like Turkey and and I'm assuming it's the same with, with uh, writers from some other countries, that's that might not be your initial experience. Mm. But here, living here, definitely I uh, benefit a lot from working with a very good agent and a good agency. Mm. Um, and I, I think it's it's incredibly important to be to, to find the right people and the right team. It's always a teamwork. Mm-hmm. That's what you learn as a writer over the years. You start alone, and definitely it's an art that thrives upon solitude. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it is teamwork.
3: About the editing process, did you ever have any limitations with that, or did, what were your experiences with going through editing your manuscripts? And did you have you always had? Good relationships with editors throughout your time writing?
9: I think it's really a blessing to find the right editor. And if your editor knows you, understands what you're trying to say, your mind, the story connects with the story at all levels, that really is a blessing. Mm. Um, And I feel very fortunate because I work here at Penguin with with an amazing editor. We've been working together for a long time so you can see, you know, you're like a, a little bit companions along the same journey and that, that makes me feel very blessed mm-hmm. On the other hand, in some countries I have had some positive and negative experiences over the years that's why I appreciate it you know, when I see a good editor I appreciate it a lot Also, copy editors are incredibly important because they are the ones who checked all your facts um, historical but also related to space, every little tiny detail, of course language. Because I work, commute between languages for me, it's very important to pay attention to words and idioms that can't be translated immediately from one language to another. And you start putting thought into that, you know? And I think it was Salman Rushdie, if I'm not wrong, who said, if you want to get to know a culture better, you have to look at those words that can't be translated directly. So um, you ask yourself, you know, what, what are those invisible barriers? Um, and I learned a lot from, from working closely over the years, both with my editors, but also with my translators. Obviously, I understand that you write a lot about diverse cultures. Mm-hmm. Has it ever been
1: very hard to possibly pitch these stories from minorities? And has there been a
9: worry about whether um, those pictures will be taken on board? Such an important question, and I think... Unfortunately, this identity politics um, that narrows us down into categories. And, And this idea that writers should write what they know, who they are. I'm very critical of these teachings. I think as long as we feel it in our hearts, we can write about anything and everything. But there is an expectation that because I happen to be a woman coming from a Muslim country... That I should be writing about the stories of Muslim women, and preferably sad stories of Muslim women. <laughs> and I don't like that. You know, in one of my books there might be, um, you know, a Turkish woman. In another book, maybe there will be a Norwegian man. You know, who knows where the story will take me? And that's that's the beauty of imagination. That's the beauty of literature. Not having those boundaries that we are born into. You know that we are surrounded with by birth you want to go beyond the boundaries of the self and art enables you to do that to connect with the other to the point that there is no other anymore so that's what I believe in and that's why my work is not necessarily autobiographical of course there are always autobiographical elements but what I like is not to be myself You know, um, and that's why I have run into challenges difficulties over the years You have to constantly fight against those expectations that revolve around identity politics. Sometimes they want to put you in a little niche Mm -hmm. and they want you to keep producing in the same way. Um, We don't expect, for instance, an Afghan writer to be experimental or avant-garde. If you happen to be an Afghan writer, you have to tell the sad stories of real life in Afghanistan. But if you happen to be a writer from Paris or New York, a middle-class um, Western author, you can, you can be as avant-garde as you want, as experimental as you want. You can write science fiction. We don't expect an Afghan writer to write science fiction. We need to challenge these invisible walls in my opinion and and just let people write whatever they want so those first teachings uh, of creative writing classes uh, are not things that I that I believe in and I'm very critical of them we we shouldn't write what we know we should write what we can feel in our hearts Mm.
2: so would you say to um, aspiring authors that they shouldn't write with their identity in mind And in terms of pitching to authors, they shouldn't kind of play up what's a trend at the moment. For example, they shouldn't play up that they are a minority or they are a woman
9: or things like that. Such a strong question and such a relevant question, especially the times we're living in right now. And um, I'm not saying that people should not write um, as minority writers. Mm -hmm. Because I do know that it's incredibly important to bring the voices of the silenced from the periphery to the center. I do know that it's incredibly important to make the invisible visible. All I'm saying is that is not the only way. There can be different ways of writing. Mm-hmm. And the minority writer might choose to write as a minority member in his or her first book, but maybe the next book will be completely something else. Mm-hmm. So we need to allow freedom, space, that's all I'm saying, because otherwise I have a lot of respect for people who say, you know what, let me tell you the story from my perspective. I have things to say. And again, that, that cognitive flexibility is the, is the beauty of it, isn't it? Because we are being taught history in only one way, especially in countries like Turkey where there's no democracy. You know, history with a capital H. H we never learn to look at history from the point of view of a minority member. I go to school in Turkey and this very nationalistic, um, you know, teaching. Uh, we we learn that we were a great empire, we brought justice wherever we went. Um, usually Turkish children don't un- find it very difficult to understand that the story might be very different if it's told through the eyes of a Serbian citizen or, or a Lebanese or a Kurd or perhaps a concubine in the harem would tell a different story, a prostitute accompanying the Ottoman army Mm. would tell a different story. An Armenian silversmith, a Jewish miller would tell a different story of the empire. Mm. And the accumulation of all those stories is the truth. So I have a lot of respect for people who say, wait a minute, you know, I'm going to tell you my side of the truth. But all I'm saying is writers, I mean, books can be very political. Books can have their own politics and energy, and I respect that. But writers should not be reduced down to a s- just one single monolithic identity. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm opposing.
1: I know when giving advice to like aspiring writers, mm-hmm. people always ask, what is the one thing you'd tell them? But I would say, what is the one thing, mm-hmm. one advice you'd like to give them that they shouldn't do?
9: I think it's incredibly important to have inner space. Mm-hmm. And we rarely think about inner space because in this day and age most of our energy seeps outside we're constantly rushing from one you know hurrying from one place to another in the company of other people but there should be an inner space and it's important to go into that space from time to time and when you go to that space it's interesting to see you connect better with humanity Mm -hmm. so it's not necessarily an isolated space at all it's just a different kind of space uh, i live I give lots of talks that gives me a chance to connect with audiences from various age groups mm-hmm. and i'm always amazed to see when I speak with younger audiences, particularly children, their energy you know they 're just full of dynamism and some they have so many aspirations and girls and boys together girls are also very confident if you talk to eight year old ten year old girls and if you ask them do you want to become writers, a writer or a poet? Is there anyone in this room who wants to be an artist someday? So many hands go up, it's amazing. But then I go to high schools, and these are students who have gone through puberty, and they have been in the school system a longer for a longer period. And through the school education and the family and the society, they have learned to blend in. And now girls are more timid, uh, especially in countries like Turkey. So this, this fear about what others might think, might say, will I be ridiculed, will I be mocked if I do something unusual? That fear pulls us down, and eventually I think it sucks our energy. And I believe this affects women much more than men. So if I may give a tiny little advice that would be just constantly to keep that inner space alive, to be aware of the fears that we have. We can't completely erase our fears and anxieties, But awareness is an important part of it. And at the end of the day, writing is an inner, in my opinion, personal journey. Who knows where the journey will take us, but we have to trust the journey.
2: You've spoken to children, and they've wanted to be more creative and Mm -hmm. artistic. And then as you've got to high school, it's kind of like, it's almost been seeped out of them as they've gone through the system. Do you say that? that's comparable to, for example, a manuscript that's gone through your agent and then it's gone through the editor and then by the time it's out, it's almost not what it was. Is the creative spark is kind of gone, been forced out of it. Have you ever experienced that with any of your books?
9: You know, I wouldn't necessarily say that because when you work as a team, um, and again, it's, it's it's important to find the right people. Um, imagine if you have... S- a, a no- novelists are very lonely creatures. It takes weeks, months, sometimes years to finish a novel and when you stay in that world, in that cocoon for a very long time, sometimes you can't see the details it's like you need a little bit of cognitive distance, like you need to take a step back and then you can see the picture better, so working with a good translator, working with a good editor helps you to to have that kind of distance and and the editor shows you, you know what, there's something here that doesn't quite fit in Maybe you weren't able to see it. It's like, you know, sometimes foreigners can see things better than the people who are native to that land because they take it for granted. But when you're a foreigner, every little thing is interesting to you, the smells, the sounds when you go to a city for the first time. So when somebody's reading your book for the first time, they might notice details that you weren't aware of because you've been in that space for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. I think we do benefit a lot if we can find the right team um, and and in the book at the end of the day, you know, there's so many people put energy and faith in it, and I think faith is an important concept. Um, when you start writing a book, it's a matter of faith. You don't know whether you will succeed. You don't know where the story is going to take you. You don't even know what you're doing, but you do it anyhow. And mm-hmm. it is to me, it's like a secular act of faith. So there are people who put also faith in your work, and in that sense. Working together can, can enrich the, the entire experience, not necessarily the other way around.
3: What do you see for the future of publishing with, with regards to diversity and yeah. the like? What do you see
9: yeah.
3: with that happening? Yeah.
9: You will remember there was a time when people were so worried that because of e-books, digital technologies, um, like hardbound books, printed books were going to disappear. Yeah. And it didn't happen that way. Yes, there are more e-books around the world, but overall um, books do sell and I, I think we need to underline this again in countries like Turkey, Pakistan, India. We need to bear in mind a book is not a personal item. You know, When you finish reading a book, if you like the book, you pass it on. You give it to your aunt and your aunt, if she likes it, she sends it to her daughter in another city and that daughter shares it with her friend. So the same copy is read by five, six people. I mean, statistics don't tell us everything, the whole story. There's another dimension, that word of mouth, circulation of stories that is tremendously important. So I guess all I'm trying to say is formats can change. Even the printing machine, once upon a time, was a novelty. Yeah. Um, but what won't change, in my opinion, is our need for stories because that is incredibly ancient and that is very universal. And I personally think... Um, we're going to need stories more than ever before. You know, this is this is how we connect. This is how we feel, and this is how we empathize. And empathy is a muscle. The more you do it, the better you become at it. Um, so it's, it's a matter of practice. We practice empathy as well. So when I look at journalism today, it became more storytelling. Uh, TV journalism became more storytelling. Even advertisement, you know, big companies, everything about storytelling, people are more aware of the need for stories. And, And there's an interesting paradox. Even though life became faster, everything moves faster, I think the opposite is also true because when you have so much uncertainty, so many challenges, complexities, people want to slow down a little bit. So the need for the inner space, the need for novels... Uh, where time flows in a different way, with a different rhythm, I don't think that's going to disappear anytime soon. So every now and then, you know, you will see these apocalyptic uh, stories of doom and gloom, how the novel is going to disappear. But I disagree. I don't think the novel is going to disappear as a genre anytime soon. But even if it does, our need for stories is, is very, very existential.
3: And finally, we have one of the editors Who worked on the program? Um, It's Tom Avery. Um, He was really interesting.
2: I wanted to pick his brain. Yeah. I I really wanted to pick his brain. brain. Because I feel like when it comes to writing, editors are the most important people. It's how I see it. And I I think you could be a mediocre writer and an editor could turn you into a brilliant writer. Mm. And I think a lot of the time, what I used to really do with my own personal writing, I used to really. Try my hardest to make everything perfect so in my head i was thinking a writer writes a book a manuscript gives it to them and and then it's published and it's perfect but that's that's not the case at all do you know what i mean exactly yeah and he was interesting
3: just because he was even saying like as you as you just said about um you know if if somebody doesn't come comes to him with like not the best pitch for like a non-fiction book and he really likes the concepts and the ideas Mm. he would take it and work with the writer to make sure that it becomes something. Right, you exactly. know, like, It's that belief they have in their writers. You know? Well,
2: this is it. And also, they obviously make want to make a bit of coin. So it's <laughs> like, I was listening to a podcast the other day, a book podcast, and they had an editor on there. And she was just like, she basically publishes a lot of books written by doctors and stuff like that. And she's like, these academics and scientists, they can't write. So she says a lot of the time, she's literally having to rewrite entire mm. manuscripts mm. just to get the book published. Wow. It's
1: actually interesting because a lot of the times... A, you need an editor to add that bit of just a little, just a just vim, just a little spice into yeah. it, right? Yeah. And I think that's great because I was when you when it comes to writing, I'm always wondering. So, the is it the Ministry of Utmost Happiness by um, at Roy Aaron Dattie Roy? Aaron, yeah. Um. So uh, apparently, she
2: is it Aaron Dattie Roy? Yeah. Or Dattie Roy? Aaron Dattie. Oh, Arundhati oh, is he? Arundhati. Is he? He's from the islands. It's a woman. She, she, oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, oh. Um, and <laughs> basically,
1: she yeah um apparently like she, when she interviews she's very like mellow and calm but there's so much passion and politics in her writing that it's quite hard to think somebody who is she probably doesn't even like to have political conversations that much could mm-hmm. write such a book and i'm thinking i wonder what the editing process was like for that person is she like very political in her writing as just her or have have her editors mm jig the tables a bit yeah. they so must have they must have a little yeah. bit because they make it more yeah.
2: they always fierce. do isn't it yeah. yeah they take your work and they just dissect it they cut it up and that is but painful though you know but it's also
3: because they do know what works exactly yeah. like they, they're, they're at an editor position yeah but then then works,
1: it's like yeah. when we talk about that with regards to like um things like translation how much of it is 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 your work mm. once they've you know come inside and change shit up well
2: this is it like um i was listening to will self talk about raymond carver and his editor and he was basically saying that raymond carver's editor used to edit his work so much that it was no longer raymond carver's work it was his editor's (laughs) work so he's like we've i think he was even saying something like we've never really read real raymond carver Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean
1: I, i think this it can be a bit painful sometimes because if your work is very personal it can be so difficult giving somebody the reins to kind
3: of do but whatever kind of thing. but like when we when we hear what tom said it was very much like he said it wasn't more about taking the reins it's more working with yeah the yeah to, but to, i guess that's
1: that's the role and, of, a, of a good editor yeah
3: and you actually have to let certain things go yeah you know to kind of let the story go but yeah but anyway, so here's tom
6: my name is tom avery i'm editorial director at william heineman one of the many imprints that makes up penguin random house uk Um, And William Heinemann is one of the world's oldest publishing houses. We were set up in 1890. um, And it publishes a range of literary fiction and non-fiction. So I work across both, um, luckily. And I've been there for just over 10 years now. So, um, well, within Penguin Runner House. And uh, I got involved with Right Now last year. So this is my second year. And I think it's a wonderful initiative and extremely important and something that I think will help to change publishing for the good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and actually I was just saying the quality of the writing is just phenomenal. It's going to be a difficult task selecting 10 this Mm -hmm. year.
2: Tom, you're an editor.
6: Um, What's that like? Uh, I kind of feel incredibly lucky because I'm a big reader. I've always been a big reader. And I never imagined growing up that there could be a job where you just get paid to read and Mm. work with authors. And um, I think I remember coming in on work experience when I was about 21 or 22, just finishing university, and I had to sign a form saying you will be, you will have access to manuscripts. And I remember thinking, like, I cannot believe this! Like, I'm going <laughs> to get to see manuscripts, sort of like actual books, before they're published. And uh, and I think I've always, I've always like had that level of excitement. You know, I've always been quite um, interested and amazed by writers and by writing and um, I think the job of an editor is as we said earlier today kind of threefold the first is to kind of find new writers try and uh, find ways to to kind of publish them the second is to work with writers on the manuscript so editing can involve anything from sort of big structural changes to um, moving commas small grammatical shifts and so a lot of my job is like working on text and also kind of Working with authors on like finding pictures or um, deciding on a cover or working out who the best people to send copies to are and that is the sort of third part of what an editor is which is like publishing and like getting the book out into the world in the best way possible and into the hands of as many people as possible Mm. so the job essentially is is a mix of all those three things which are kind of loosely connected but but really it just means a lot of reading
3: I've asked a few of the like writers before, just about like what their process is with the editors. Like, what is, what's your been experience with a few writers? Do you have to challenge ego? Like, what what has happened in your experience with these writers?
6: I always think like editing is is never one way, and I think it'd be a mistake if it was one way. I think it's a dialogue, mm-hmm. and um, I always, you know, I'll, I'll have suggestions on someone's manuscript, but they they're never like directions and they're never orders and I think it should be a kind of two-way process and that's something I learned from one of my first bosses who was oh who is like an extremely good editor and um, was in a very kind of elevated position but also loved working on manuscripts and I think it's really important that a writer is never made to feel that they're losing their vision of what the book is Mm. like it's their book first and foremost Mm. an editor's job is to kind of help them realize that vision so you're you're kind of working for them it's it's never the other way around and um, and I always think also if you're if you've acquired a book you kind of want to publish it you Mm. want to work with them so you wouldn't acquire it if you thought that it needed major changes Mm. so I think I've always I've always tried to kind of approach it that I'd be asked asking questions or like putting forward ideas or possibly making recommendations or like identifying sections that could be strengthened or um, but it would never ever be change this And um, and I'm lucky enough to have worked with like I think you know not to be kind of too bland about it but everyone I've worked with has been like wonderful and I've never had to I mean sometimes it can be a kind of lengthy process I suppose mm. you know but it's it's always um, two people kind of working for the same goal and working in the same direction.
1: When you do receive a manuscript on your desk, how do you discern whether this is a really good book and whether this is a really bad book? Because sometimes, if it's especially if it's um, authors from diverse backgrounds, you're reading about things that you may not necessarily understand. But within that, do you say, "Oh, because you can't connect with it, is it some is?" Do you think, oh, this is a good book, or is this a bad book? How do you go about making that distinction?
6: I think the job of an editor is never to, you've got to be kind of as objective as possible. Mm -hmm. And and I actually think there are kind of different ways of reading things. Um, Like one is, you know, on a very kind of personal level, are you responding to the text, are you responding, responding to what the writer has to say? But then you're also thinking about like, well, how do we publish this? Like, how am I gonna convince my colleagues that it's something worth taking on? Um, what's the gap in the market? Like, how are we going to reach these readers? How can I work with a writer to make it a better book? Or how can I work with a writer to kind of help them to achieve what they want to achieve? So there, there are a lot of factors, but um, really what it boils down to is you read something and you have this like instinctive reaction. You kind of, like it's, it's very difficult to to describe, but there's, a there is single yeah. yeah, there's, like, nothing, there is nothing better. Like you you receive a submission. You print it out you take it home and you're reading it that evening and you just think like oh my goodness like this person is amazing this idea is incredible I know exactly how we can publish this and it's going to be huge and then and then the rest is is kind of easy but um that that happens like rarely and so I think it's also a case of being as open as possible and doing a lot of work yourself so not just waiting for things to come to you but like finding things and seeking people out and reading as much as possible. So uh, it's a kind of, again, it's a kind of two-way.
2: So I know you said that, you know, essentially you're working for the author. So for example, if you had a a book by an author and you knew that if he spoke about a particular subject in the book, if he added like another chapter, that would help you shift an an extra 20,000 copies. (laughs) But he didn't want you to put it in there because he felt like it would take away from his vision of his book. What would be your call in that
6: situation? Uh, I think ultimately it's always it's always the author's decision. Mm-hmm. Like there there would never be a time when I think I would say you have to do this because it's going to sell more copies. Mm. I think um, you can kind of say there are benefits to to having uh, this particular chapter, and, mm. and these are the reasons why. And like editors are lucky in that. Like, they don't work alone. They work with the help of like the sales teams, mm. the marketing team, the publicity team, other editors. So more often than not, like you're getting feedback from other people who are saying, like, commercially speaking, this might be a better idea, but ultimately, it's the author's decision. And if they're not happy with something, then we wouldn't do it. Mm. Um, the second question is about um, pitches. Mm.
2: Now, for example, somebody who's written written an amazing novel may not know how to write an impactful pitch. And then you receive that pitch. If bad, do you then not even bother reading the novel?
6: I think with fiction it's hard because, um, like, I always, like, there's more often than not, like, you read, like, the first 10, 15 pages and you may be unsure, but then, like, something changes. Mm-hmm. Or, and I think you can tell very quickly whether or not um, you like the writing style or whether you think it's of a particular quality. But um, generally speaking, I think with fiction I try and persevere because I just think it's, it's very hard to get a, proper sense of what something is until you've read a good chunk of it mm. um, non-fiction I think it's much more about the idea mm-hmm. and how it's expressed if it's kind of um, a non-fiction project where the pitch isn't particularly good but I actually think the ideas are amazing mm. then I would absolutely like take it forward and, but possibly say to the agent or to the author like I, I love it but would it be possible to do it in this way or have you thought about this and if they're like yeah actually that's you know, I'm open to I'm open to try and mm. um, so, so yeah, I think, I think, and it also, it's really difficult, like trying to condense something down into a page. Um, so I think you've just got to, you know, give authors and agents um, a chance, you know, so you've got to kind of read and like, pay proper attention and um, consider it um, carefully. And
3: here we are, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it was um, a great day. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed it. We enjoyed that day. We yeah. really enjoyed working with Penguin Random House UK um to get the to get the story out
2: we hope to come back next time <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah
1: oh don't worry next time yeah. maybe Derek oh, can be on the whenever.
2: i might be what do you mean i'm you'll you no, be on the panel really. talking yeah. oh i might be on the panel oh, with I thought my thought you'd own be book. like oh, oh okay oh you'll oh, be doing okay well, hopefully, i'm trying year. to oh, make moves in 2018 you know <laughs> <Okay>. yeah, <man. laughs> yeah, man. try to make some serious moves. Some do the bow that yellow exactly <laughs> the thing is what's what's good what's great is that us three as writers we've benefited from being in that room with those people yeah, speaking absolutely. to them they you were know saying what I mean? so much there were so exactly. many gems in there yeah so many gems i think
1: exactly. there was one woman who was like she just gets up and like writing for her isn't this thing where she goes out for the coffee shop and stuff and recently i'll just get up mm. and i'll just grab my coffees sit on my bed and just write
3: yeah
1: like before yeah. i go to work
2: yeah, yeah. i always like <laughs> to works. set a day for it be like okay i'm gonna write mm. so Today. yesterday i was writing all day yeah. So I'm gonna write on this day and whatnot, and it's crazy because mm. now that I feel like I'm actually not just writing for myself, I'm scrapping so much of what I'm writing. Yeah. Before I would have folders and folders of stuff. Oh, this is why I wrote all this navel gazing rubbish. <laughs> but it's, no, seriously. And now when I'm writing, if I f- I read and be like, this is crap, I'll just delete everything. Mm. I don't save it. I think
3: it. the thing is with me, like i don't think i look at the stuff that i've written before i don't necessarily delete them but you t- you kind of take the ideas and think mm. this was a good idea here at the time i hadn't really I formulated so it properly crap. in the right way yeah so that's why i was saying to you earlier like on my medium i've deleted all my short stories off there because while i believed that they were good reading them they could have been so much more yeah. a lot of them were put further they'll put, put in there like with Haste in it, you know what I mean.
2: But you're never gonna, you're never you're gonna never be. happy to do. It, with but your... I feel
3: like there should be, because like the more I've read and the more I've seen, mm. like I feel like I could do a lot better than that. You can't
2: just yeah. put can in anything out. I think so as well. Percent. So I think having know. having read all three of us is writing, my own included. I think Ray's the best writer out right, of the three of us. Okay
1: really yeah. i don't know why we're having that conversation but why? let's wrap up this episode
2: <laughs> what you don't like um, pra- i'm just giving you some praise She i like it's trying to do <laughs> like she did publish her thing yeah, the other day on um, a really good article. medium oh she, my god and no, I, no, she didn't, no, no, she, didn't yeah. she didn't cite me she didn't cite me he
1: yeah. got really um anyway
2: but
3: <laughs> thank you guys for listening
1: thank you so um, much thank you and for thank everybody you. that
3: took part in Right Now 2017 absolutely. and actually came and spoke to us so no, um, we fun. were not that in, as intimidated <laughs> as they thought we were going to be and
1: thank you to Penguin for like Penguin Random House yeah. UK for having us yeah
3: thank you to everybody and we really hope to be there next year absolutely right, thank you Thanks, bye
0: guys.